all its lusts like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass wither and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful day that you have given us as we come before your word, as we draw towards your word, Lord. Speak to us. Let the Holy Spirit minister to each one of us and convict us of our sin and remind us that only salvation is through your Son, Jesus Christ, and for your glory and for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We live in a world filled with competing truth claim. People have different understanding. Every day we are bombarded with declarations that something is true and that something is false. And we are asked sometimes, uh, we are told that what to believe and what not to believe. And even we are asked to behave one way and not the another way. Recently I was listening to the speech of uh, Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan um, uh, at the UN General Assembly. If you have listened to that, it's, he spoke for around 50 minutes. Issues, uh, we have main four issues, uh, climate change, and then he talks about the, his, uh, concerning, his concern regarding poor becoming poorer, rich becoming rich. And then the third thing he talks about was Islamic phobia. And then fourth, most of the time, around 20 to 25 minutes, he spent spend talking about the, his concern about the Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh issues. And later on, a response from the Indian representative. And if you listen to that, it's, it's wonderful in the sense how they blame each other and how they justify their own acts and their actions, what they do. And not only that, if you watch uh, any news channel today, especially you see the uh, BJP or ruling party and opponent parties, how they debate and how they try to justify who is right and who is wrong. And not only that, today's books and medias are telling us how to handle our lives and even our relationship when they talk about marriage, how they propose and what they believe to be. And Richard Dawkins, the British ethicist and evolutionist, and if he, if you read some of his book, tell us how to think about our historical origins and our place in this universe. So we are bombarded with different view, different truth claim that people have. That the question is, how do we filter through all this claim? Because all the all this truth will not be true at all. Because if somebody is saying something and it's contradicting to the other, of course there is something. So one is right and one is wrong. So the question for all of us this morning is how do we filter, how do we, how do even we know what to think about relationship, morality, marriage, God, and even the universe, or even the politics that is going around, and many other issues. To answer such questions, people have, or people appeal to some sort of uh, norm, standard, and even criteria to which they can appeal. We all do. We all appeal to some kind of authority some kind of a standard and definitely in order to know what is right and what is wrong we need an ultimate authority so that we know what is 
when somebody says something somebody claims some truth then we are aware we how to judge and how to measure what is true and what is not of course everybody has some sort of ultimate norm in to which they appeal whether or not they are aware of what their norms happens to be though we don't know but we believe there are there, there are norms in all of uh, we believe some people appeal to reason and logic to pass judgment upon competing truth claim. Definitely, if you are more intellectual, if you use more of your uh, brain, then you are more drawn toward reason and logic. And other appeal to sense, experience, the emotional, the heart issues. So you will be judging according to how you feel. And not only that, still other refers to themselves and their own subjective sense of things. If you live today, we live in the postmodern relativistic time where we all talk about what is right for me may not be right for you. So, very subjective self uh, self evaluation refers to themselves. Although there are some truth in each of these approaches, I don't deny that there are some truth in these approaches. But the Christians have, or the believer in Christ Jesus, have historically rejected all of them as the ultimate standard ultimate standard for knowledge and to know the truth instead God's people have universally affirmed that there is only one thing that can legitimately function as the supreme standard to judge what is right and wrong and that's what we call it God's word the word of God they can be no there can be no higher authority because that all that comes from God himself that's the word of God. That's where this is going to lead us into the first questions that this morning I'm going to address is where do we get to go for God's word then? If it is God's standard is going to, the, is, is going to be the norm and standard to know what is right and wrong. First question is where do we go to get God's word or where can it be found? This is where we're going to uh, meditate on. If you read verse 16, if you have your Bible and otherwise in the bulletins, you see, we see, we read, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's what uh, Paul's write to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God. This issue, of course, bring us to the one of the most, one of the core debates of the Protestant reformations. Many reformers, as I said, like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Zwingli, and others, were troubled by what they saw as the false doctrine within the Catholic Church, especially the practice and the sailing of indulgences. In the 16th century, when they look at that, they realized those are not biblical. One of the reasons the church was corrupted in terms of indulgences or even in terms of hierarchy and leadership was because the church was not basing their authority or they were wandering away from the authority of the scripture. That's the reason on October of 31st, 1517, now uh, in this month, in the 31st of October, we're going to celebrate 502 years of reformations that had that started by Martin Luther's. And of course, there were many other, but we counted, we considered that particular day, 13, uh, 31st October, uh, 1517 as a reformation movement, the beginning of the reformation movement. Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of all Saint Church. He nailed his 95 asking people to come and 
debates upon the, some of the wrong practices the church was practicing. That was the beginning of this, what we call uh, reformation movement. That's where the Protestantism or the Protestant we started, we came up out of the, we divided into, we split out from the Roman Catholic. Of course, the intention of the reformers were not to start a new movement. They wanted to revive, they wanted to renew the church. They wanted to, they were speaking against some of the false practices of the church, which was not in line with the scripture. This is the reason. This is the reason that's why we go back to the first, uh, the apostles writing, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. If they are trying to find the word of God outside the church, definitely that the Catholics were looking at the traditions and even the popes and the councils, they were equated or in other words, they have the authority like a scripture. So that's why they started bringing a lot of practices as the council approved, even the pope himself approved, even the traditions that they were practicing. That's why it's important that Martin Luther came up with the ideas, it is only my conscience is captive by the word of God. Only the word of God has the final authority. Otherwise, I cannot. So that's what his argument, all, everything was based on the scripture because he believed all scripture is breathed out by God and God alone. And if you look at this particular passage, like the word he says, scripture is God's breath. In other words, the, in, in English word we use inspiration. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The word of God, what we call today the Bible, was not the human, human's writings like any other books, any other historical book. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it was God breathed himself. Many times we use the word inspirations. For example, last night we had a wonderful musical uh, performance or the worship night. And I would say that was inspiring. We can use in that way. But when we use the word inspiration with the scripture we are talking about, it is the word of God himself. When Paul talks about in this particular passage, he's referring to the Old Testament. This script is out by. So linger on it. Hold on to it. Continue to abide and continue to trust, continue to hold on to the what your, your parents or in other words, your grandmother Louis and the mother Eunice has passed it on to you, the Holy Scripture, the sacred writings. That's what both the Old Testament. But there are really good reasons for treating the New Testament as having the same God-breathed authority. Of course, Old Testament, as Paul says, is the word of God. Even Jesus himself used as the inspired word of God. But what about the New Testament? Is this also the word of God inspired, breathed out by God? And if you read John chapter, John chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. In other words, even the Jesus, when he used the word, when he was speaking, he has the authority. Or in other words, he, it was considered to be the scripture inspired by God himself. And when we look at John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Jesus said to the, the apostle, he says, when the spirit or spirit of truth come to you, he will guide you into all truth. My friends, Jesus prepared for his apostle to speak with divine authority for the sake of the church. 
Jesus predicted and he said that you are going to speak, you are going to tell the truth, you are going to write about the truth which the Spirit will reveal to you or he will inspire you. Apostle also claimed to be inspired by God. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by spirit. We believe New Testament is the word of God. It's God breathed because as, the, as Paul says, it was not taught by any human wisdom, but by the spirit. And that's why even Peter says about uh, Paul, he says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Paul letters were part of authoritative scripture. In the first century itself, Peter already, they already authenticated that the word of what Paul was writing to the church were also inspired. So my friends, when Paul speaks in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, of the scripture being inspired, it refers to by implications to the Old and the New Testament. This is what the Word of God. If you want to find the Word of God, that's what we call we have the scripture. We have the Bible in our hands. And this is the main reason at New City what we believe. We believe that the Bible consists of the 66 book of the Old and the New Testament is the infallible Word of God verbally inspired by God and without error in the original manuscript. That's what we believe as a church, as a new city. And my friends, uh, what a privilege, what a wonderful when, I mean, it, it, will, it fills me with awe. Sometimes when I think of, I have the creator of the universe has breathed out a book. And this is the book that we are talking about. And we can read the mind of God revealed in, his, in this book. If you want to know the will of God, and if you want to know who God himself is, we have the access to knowledge that is unshakably true and infinitely valuable. And this is a privilege. Do not, don't, but for, the, for all of us, is the question is, do we treasure this? Do we love this? The word of God that is handed down to us, that is given to us, do we meditate on it? Do we read on it? Do we memorize and study this word? The book is in accord with the, its infinite worth. We talk about this is an infinite worth, the word of God that has given to us. Do we value that, my friends? Do we spend time with it? And this is the most foundational reason, Timothy, Paul's right why you should continue in the truth you have learned and believed because it is the truth of God's breathed scripture. That's why he asked Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy saying that spend time and reading and meditating and understanding this particular scripture which is God's breathed My friends, God's word can be found in the word of God and this is what we are talking about. So then the next important question is, what do we mean when we use the word sola scriptura? And what do they mean in the past history during Reformation and after Reformation when the word used sola scriptura? Sola scriptura means that the only the Bible, only the word of God, the scripture, because it is God's inspired word, is our inherent sufficiency and supreme authority. The Bible which is inspired by God, inspired by God, 
is our inherent, sufficient, and supreme authority. That's what we mean when we use the word, the word, the sola scriptura. Let, let's, let's jump into that one by one. What are only supreme authority? When we believe the Bible is the word of God, that, that means the scripture alone is our final authority. It has the final saying in all the things. Authority is a bad word today in a very rugged individualistic uh, culture today we live in. But the Bible is all about authority. In fact, sola scriptura means the Bible is our final, supreme, and ultimate authority. But we need to differentiate between uh, this final, supreme, and ultimate authority because the Bible does, uh, the, the reformers, or even we should not believe the Bible is our only authority. I do not say Bible is only authority, but it is our sub final, supreme, and ultimate authority. Supreme, sola scriptura is too easily confused today with nuda scriptura. Nuda scriptura means that view that we should have no creed but just the Bible. That's not what sola scriptura means. Sola scriptura acknowledges there are some other important authorities for the Christians to follow and to be uh, and to listen to. But the scripture alone is our final authority. That's what we mean when we say sola scriptura. It's, it's the authority that rule over and govern over all other authorities. We have a lot of authorities in our, in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our countries and even in our culture, even in the family, we have certain authorities. But what he mean by sola scriptura means, this means that all authorities are to be followed only in as much as align with the scripture and submit to the scripture. If any authority contradict the scripture, that's why we are not. We are, that's what we are not saying that, that should, we should continue to follow if they contradict into the scripture because we believe in sola scriptura. Of course, like many other Christian convictions or Christian theology and doctrines, there are misunderstanding of this particular and misapplied of this particular doctrine, sola scriptura. For example, some people use sola scriptura as to justification for a me, God, and the Bible type of individualistic, not respecting the history, become a completely a history, a history where they cut off themselves from the church history themselves. That's what not that's what that's not what we mean when we say sola scriptura. Many even many evangelical churches today we think that sola scriptura means there is no there's me God and the Bible. I don't need church. I don't need a creed. I don't need traditions. I don't need a confession of the church. No, that is the misunderstanding of the scripture. On the other hand, there are another extremes who thinks, who take the creed and confessions even more supreme and authoritative than the Bible itself. They are more committed towards their own traditions and the church, which was the mistake of the Roman church. My friend, this is a warning for us. It's a reminder for us. Sola scriptura means scripture alone. Though there are importance in the church history, the confessions, that's why I love reading. I mean, as a new city, we believe in the Apostle Creed. As a church, we believe in Nicene Creed. We believe in some of the confession that we have, which has been passing on in the church history. Even that's why we read church fathers and the theologians. We are not cutting off ourselves from all the rich traditions that we have. We continue to believe in them. We continue to learn in order to, uh, in order to rightly interpret and apply the gospel, apply the scripture today in our life. Sola Scriptura does not 
we are cutting off ourselves completely but what we are saying is if the confessions or if if the creed are contradicting to the scripture then a reformation they need to be re-looked at and translated or re-understand a couple of certain things the way we look at and sola scriptura is also our only sufficient authority it's not only that sola scriptura is our supreme authority when we talk about sola scriptura it means it's sufficient authority let me let me read verse 15 and 16 and 17 it says verse 15 and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ alone and verse 16 all scripture is breathed out by God and and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for the every good works my friend when we talk about sola scriptura we literally mean that all truth that needs to that needs for salvation and godliness is in the scripture anything that you need for your salvation anything you need to be a godly or to follow christ is complete or it's sufficient the scripture is sufficient to tell us what is what we need in and through the scripture and for godliness that's why our romans chapter 1 16 it says the gospel has a power unto salvation the gospel is the one who gave us salvation it's not the things that we do in life. It's not our legalistic or moralistic kind of a performance. The scripture tells us it is the word of the gospel has our salvation through Jesus. To give us salvation. And not only that, it tells us for all godliness. That's what it says. It's profitable for all godliness, for all the good works. It says it equips us for every good works. My friends, God breathed Bible aimed to make us godly, to make us doer of good in the world. It's not just about, you know, feeling good about ourselves or thinking about living in it just for eternity. The scripture tells us that God's words equip us to do the good work in the present world today. And that's the that is the work of the scripture. And then he says the, the doctrines of the Bibles are designed to produce good deeds, and they do it by teaching. Verse 16 says, but for teaching, and that teaching has three, it says chronological effect. It says number one, reproof, number two, corrections, and number three, training in righteousness. When we are rightly taught by the scripture, number one, the first thing, it reproves us. That is, our errors are pointed out, our sins are, and, our, and our mistakes and even our errors are pointed and we are stopped in our track. For example, it's just like you are going some in the wrong directions and somebody tells you you are going to the wrong track and you stop that. That's what the scripture does in our life. And not only that, and says then we are corrected. That is, we are turned around from the harmful way and we are going and pointed the right way. Then the scripture points us, not, not just telling us that we are going wrong, but it points us to right way. And then thirdly, it says, we are trained in righteousness, that the Bible enables us to train and grow in righteousness. 
The all the characteristics, in other words, it transforms us to be like Christ. It's not only justify us, but at the same time, it sanctifies us and transforms us into the image of God Himself. That's what the scripture do to us, my friends. As the teaching does these three things, reproof, correcting, and training, the scripture equips us for every good works. That's why we become a blessing for the city. We become a blessing for the community and for each other. My friends, if you read in First, First Timothy chapter 1, Paul talks about the physical exercise. It has a little benefits, but it's profitable. But he says again, godliness is profitable for eternity. Of course, physical exercise are important, but at the same time, it talks about the godliness which come through the word has the eternity effect. And then the question for all of us this morning is, my friend, if we, if the scripture is the key to equip you for godliness, then are you giving as much as care to the godliness of your life as you are to the physical health of your, your life? Do we give enough time for our godliness if this lasts for eternity? And this is a question for the, all the husbands, husband, head of the household. Are you taking as good care of your or feeding your family with the scripture as you are to feed them with the food. The Bible talks about the family, the father as a head of the family is supposed to take care of the family, feed it them to provide their needs. But the question for this morning is that do we take care, do we feed them with the scripture which is going to last for eternity? My third point of Sola Scriptura is our only inherent, inherent authority. Scripture, Sola Scripture also implies that the only scripture, because it is God's inspired word, is our inherent authority. Without error, that's what we're talking about. Without error. The basis of biblical authority is that God is its divine author. If, if it was written by human, there would be definitely error. If it was not inspired by the Holy Spirit, the ground for biblical authority is divine inspiration. That's what we believe. My friends, you cannot say, no matter what Bible is right or wrong, I'm just going to believe blindly. That's what not we encourage in Christianity. That's what we not, that's what not we, not what we believe. We believe because the Bible has the authority because it is inspired, it is without error, without, it is inerrant word of God. You cannot separate inerrancy from the inspiration if it was inspired by the word of God. It is inherent, in other words. That's why the Psalm, Psalm 19 says about, talks about and the word, it says in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. And verse nine, it says, the rules of the Lord are true. I believe I submit myself to the authority of the scripture because I believe it is inherent word of God. That's why we believe in inspiration because it is God's word and God is God of truth, not error. His word must be true, trustworthy in all its addresses. So any issues, any truth that I want to know, I rely on what God, what God tells me because he is God of the truth. He cannot lie. That's what the scripture tells us. My friends, if that is the thing, if this sola scriptura means it's, it's our sole authority, 
supreme authority. It's a, it's a sufficient authority and it is our inherent authority. Then the next question is, how is that important today? Why are we talking about Sola Scriptura uh, this morning? Why is it still relevant today? Do we still need to remind ourselves of this particular doctrines, which was a long time in the first century, now in, even in the 16th century that was brought back again? I would say definitely, like any other before in the first century, we still, or even the 16th century, we need this. We need to come back again and again because we forget this. We are influenced by our culture and our society where everything is completely different what we believe, what the scripture teaches. That's why let's read. If you read uh, verse uh, 14 again, chapter, chapter 3, verse 14, in the beginning, it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, you need to continue and remain and stay in what you have learned and believed. In other words, safeguard the truth that you know and trust. It says, don't leave it, don't forsake it, don't forget those things. Why is Paul saying that? And, and if you look at the, the, the verse 14, it starts with but. That means it's comparing with the previous verse. If you read the previous verse of the, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, it says, evil people and imposter will go on from bad to worse. And it says, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, he's saying the people in this world, in that culture, they were, they were not staying in. They were not, they were not holding on. Rather, they, they were grow, going on. They were, they were advancing, progressing and proceeding, leaving the truth, leaving the authority of the scripture, leaving the truth of the scripture. That's what, that's what Paul is telling the Timothy. And not only that, if you read 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verse 3 and 4, let's read 3 and 4. It says, for the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander and wander off into myth. That's what Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, don't turn away. Don't consider to progress, to leave behind what is true because people will live in the truth of the word of God because they wanted to fulfill their passion. They were looking for preachers and teachers who can teach them, who can make them, who can entertain them, who can make them feel good and happy. That's why they were living the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul says to Timothy. You should not. And they says they wander off into the myth. They do not stick. They do not hold on to what is true in the scripture. My friends, if we really look at today our culture, where are we? As soon as we step out and if you are in the university college or even when we, we go and talk to our some of our friends, we realize that we live in the post-truth era. We live in the, in, the, in the years when we don't believe there is a, there is a certain or there is a supreme authority or there is a norm for anything. It's all, it's all relativistic. It all depends on what you think, what is right for you and what is, what is wrong for you. Even, in, even the, every year, uh, Oxford Dictionary, they come up with the word, word of the years. 
And if you look at in 2016, the word of the years was post-truth. We live in the post-truth. And 2013 was a selfie, selfie. And even this last year, it was a toxic. I do not know this year what uh, they have come up with right now. But what I'm trying to say is, my friends, we live in a post-truth where we, everybody talks about, you know, we don't want any kind of authoritative or objective truth. We want truth to be subjective. We want, we don't, I don't want you to tell me what is right and wrong. Let me decide for myself what I think what is right for my community, my family, and even myself. So my friends, this is not only the first generations, or this today our generation is not the only one. If you look at the Genesis chapter two and three, this has been in the beginning when Adam and Eve, when God created them after that, they had a dilemma at the very beginning. God tell them, God, God said to them, he says, you shall surely die. And he says, if they were to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the word of God. And later on, there was a very competing truth okay, that came and the opposite to what Jesus, what God said. He says uh, in verse three, chapter 3, verse 4, he says, you will not surely die. The serpent said, you will not die. My friends, how would how should Adam and Eve have passed judgment upon this competing truth? Do you think it should have been by, by empiricism or like by rationalism or by relativism? Not at all. But what seems right to them? No, no, no. That it was actually there was only one standard to which they should have appealed to make their decision. What was that? The word of God. The God, the word that God has spoken to them. But unfortunately this is not what happened instead of looking to God's revelation what did they do Eve decided to investigate further and then she she went inside she she looked at the and as the scripture says chapter 3 verse 6 it says when the women saw that the tree was good for food and what what did she do she do and that it was a delight to the eyes she took off its fruit and ate my friends make no mistake the fall was not just a matter of Adam and Eve eating the fruit. At the core, at the center of what they were doing, the fall was about the God's people rejecting God's word as the ultimate standard for all of life. That was in the beginning itself. And now today we live in the same, same culture, same, uh, we, we still face the same challenges what Adam and Eve, even what Paul and Timothy face, and what Martin Luther, Martin Luther and John Calvin and other reformers face. We are living in the age where the truth is being suppressed. And most of our, many of our friends are even leaving the truth. And they're going towards kind of more, they think like the Christianity, the scripture, believing sola scriptura is un-Christian, un, 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 un or in other words, unfashionable it's like old traditions that's what we believe today but what paul is encouraging timothy is that hold on hang on don't leave that particular thing that the things that you believe that has been passed on to you through generation to generation my friends at the end of the day i would like to challenge each one of us this morning as we as we listen to God's word, let me read chapter 4 of verse 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy. Let's read if you have your passage again. What should we do living in this particular era? 
exposed to Peter. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. My friends, Paul is encouraging us and charging us. In other words, commanding us to do certain things. He says, preach the word. Preach the word to yourself. And preach the word to others. In the new city, that's the reason. That's why we go from books to books. We believe not only sola scriptura, scripture alone, but we believe in tota scriptura, preach all the word. We do not pick and choose the word in order, depending on our flavor or what we want to preach. We want to sub surrender ourselves, submit ourselves to the word of God. That's the reasons we go from one book to another book, so that we are not picking and choosing some of the things that which we we things that we like and which we enjoy we are trying our best to be submitting to the word of god that's why every sunday we encourage all of us to listen to the expository sermon that's why not only we are satisfied with the word on sunday that's why we want to learn the word of god together in a small community which we call city group fellowship group that's when we come together and engage, though we study sometimes some books. But at the end of the day, this word of God is a standard. It's the word of God that, that is the oldest and others materials that we study. Not only that, even our discipleships are saved. That's why we, we do CBR. We read the scripture together daily or individually and together one-on-one -on -one so that the word of God being preached to each one of us, to, to ourselves and to the people around my friends this is our this is supposed to be this is the need of today's church if you want revival in the church if you want the spirit if you want the things that we want to see god's renewing us sanctifying us my friends the god has given us his word to do that if you read the revival in the churches in, in the past churches, it was never happened without bringing back the authority of the scripture, without bringing, without opening the word of God. When people open the word of God, that's where revival happened. And that's what I need to say as a, as a church, that God, if some of you are not yet, have received the salvation that is in Christ alone, as, as uh, Paul talks about in uh, Timothy, the salvation that is through Christ, if you have not experienced what what do we mean by salvation freedom and and as a christians my friends the word of god can give us the salvation that we need. reveals how salvation can come and if you guys are if or if anybody is struggling with sanctification godliness why am i not becoming more like christ why there is no transformation why am i not able to overcome sin that's what the bible talks about that's why the scripture has been given to us for godliness to follow christ and my friends this is my prayer for the church that we will love the word of god we will meditate on it we would we would delight in it or as a routine but delight in it memorize it and speak and speak to one another with the word that god has given to us the precious word let's look to god in prayer
Father, we thank you for your word. You have given the form of scripture. But we thank you for a privilege to know you, to know you who you really are, and to even to know ourselves. Lord, and we thank you for giving us your word so that, Lord, we will have salvation through Christ. And even, Lord, we thank you because you have given us your word so that we can become more like you. We can grow in righteousness. We can train in righteousness. Thank you for the word. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. If anybody right now struggling to even to delight in your word, even to meditate in your word, pray that, Lord, Lord, you will remind us again through your spirit as your as you promise us, Lord, your spirit will enable us to understand the scripture, the counselor. Lord, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon each one of us so that, Lord, our readings will not be just a duty, but rather it will be a delight to see Christ in all the passages of the word, Lord, from New Testament, even Old Testament to New Testament, Lord. When we read it, Lord, we will see Christ. And Lord, that will sanctify us, transform us. And Lord, and Lord, we will behold your glory. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.